This show is part of the Head Stuff Podcast Network. Welcome, gather round the fireside and listen to a tale of Fionn McCool, Cullen, Deirdre, all the sorrows grow on your wail. From giants right down to fairies, about the trooping and solitary, and ghosts who are sometimes scary. Anything goes by the fireside. Yeah. Fireside, the Puka Fireside, the Merrow Fireside. Kings and queens fighting heroes, don't you run from the fun, there's no need to hide. Sit by the fireside. Mm-hmm. Fireside. Hello and welcome to Fireside, the Irish storytelling podcast. Each episode of Fireside, we take a story from folklore and mythology, we retell it, have a chat about the tale itself and about the craft, the culture and the history of storytelling. My name is Kevin C. Olihan. I'm your host and your Fireside Bard. Welcome to episode 202 of Fireside. Today on the Irish Storytelling Podcast, we have a folk tale about a lake of healing, the tale of Loch Lee. But very first, I'm going to Give a big warm welcome to any new and indeed any returning listeners. If this is your first time listening to the podcast, this is quite a good introductory one. It's a very safe, neutral and uh, a a folktale that can be taken out of context to give you a real flavor of what we do at the podcast. And if you're a returning listener, you know well what the rhythm and routine of this podcast is. And I hope that you all enjoy it as well, of course. A few bits of housekeeping, as always. If you have not done so already, please do follow me over on Instagram at Fireside Bard. Send me a message, share this episode on your stories, spread the good name of the podcast as far and wide as it possibly can. You can support me in a more direct way by buying my book, Garden Sea, my poetry book, A Neo Myth of Home, that can be shipped all around the world in paperback from the Headstuff website or in Kindle version from Amazon. The links are in the description below low. Thank you to all of those who bought it leading up to Christmas. Um, I hope it made it out to you in time or if it unfortunately didn't due to mails in Royal Mail or wherever around the world, I hopefully will be with you very, very soon. I had a great uh, little tale I'd like to dedicate this this episode uh, to Ian, who was a guy who contacted me a few weeks ago uh, saying that he wanted to give Garden Sea as a gift and could he have a signed copy of it. And I was in New Zealand until the 23rd of December, so I wasn't going to be able to send a signed copy to him before that. Um, so I offered if I could send him just a normal copy or if I could in any way get it to him. Fortunately, he was only in Wexford, which is the county over from my home county of Wicklow for anyone from outside Ireland. And so on Stephen's day on the 26th, uh, I went up and we met halfway and I was able to hand the copy of Garden Sea over to him, which was very, he was very appreciative of himself, but it meant a huge amount to me because of course, like when you spend as long as you need to and as lonely a process as it can be to write something like a book and you're never sure if anyone's going to read it or anyone's going to want it, it meant a huge amount to me. Um to be able to personally hand over that and I hope that uh, it is appreciated as a gift. I hope it is enjoyed and uh, this episode is for you, Ian, and thank you again. It was lovely to meet you. Um, 
if you don't, uh, if not the book, uh, which is there and the links are there, uh, you can support the podcast directly by joining Headstuff Plus at headstuffpodcast.com, where for as little as five euro a month, although you can pay more if you want, you can gain access to bonus material, not just for Fireside, but for all of the podcasts on the Headstuff Network. Um, I am recording. I can even just hear it in my own voice. Um, I don't know if you all can. It is. I'm back recording from home. Um, I'm back in my family home in Wicklow for uh, the Christmas break. And I can just even hear just having rested, having been back from abroad and back from working away and on tour, uh, which I have been since the middle of November, just to have actually been in one place again and just to sat and relaxed at home for Christmas, spent time with my family, done very little except do a lot of reading, eat, eating good food, eating bad food, uh, drank wine. It has been just very, very pleasant and just starting to put a dent in the mound of books uh, that are that keep building and just the friends that I, I like to spend time with. But to be back in, first of all, in this, this safe space that I love to record in uh, without worrying about my voice from the shows from the the vocal strain of the shows or just like the the lack of sleep and the amount of travel and touring and trying to carve out any moment where I could record the podcast it's so nice to be back in this space uh, recording comfortably and that of course I hope will create a better aural experience for you and a better podcast experience overall so the story for this week uh, we are back to an adaptation from Fairy and Folktales of Ireland, the WB8's collection, and the beautiful edition of it that I was gifted for my birthday last month. Uh, This was a story that I actually wanted to do um, last month, uh, around the time before I did the Maui tale, before I went away, but it seemed more appropriate while I was away to, to hone in on a story of New Zealand to do a bit of mining and appreciation of the the wonderful culture and heritage and mythology of the place that I was. But so this is one I've had on the back burner for a little while, and it was really lovely to go back to it now. It is actually a story that was originally published in a, the Dublin and London magazine in 1825. So it is one of the older folk tales, certainly. Most of these tales tend to come around post-1850s, very like post-famine, and certainly they came into their real popularity in the late 1880s and 1890s once they came into the hands of W.B. Yeats and Lady Gregory and during the Gaelic revival that happened in the late 19th century in Ireland. That's when there was the real explosion and the the funding and the dedication and the appreciation into folklore and the, later the Folklore Commission all starts to come up around this time. So this is quite early. This is basically, this is pre-Dickens. This is pre-Charlotte and Emily Bronte even, which I only randomly bring up because I'm currently nearing the end of the masterpiece that is Jane Eyre, having never read it before, because I wanted to read the Brontes now because I have a girlfriend who is from West Yorkshire and uh, the Brontes were from West Yorkshire. So reading Jane Eyre and then I'll move on to Wuthering Heights afterwards, which are two classics that I'd never read anyway. But they bring me into a world um, that just seems appropriate now. Um, my girlfriend has given me this this window into this world and it makes reading these works makes me feel closer to her in a way. Um, so that is why I referenced the Brontes there. But um, 
I will get down to the story now. Uh, we will chat more about it, of course, afterwards. But this is The Lake of Healing on Fireside. The Lake of Healing. There is a lake in Ireland. One that is nothing at all much to look at. Not especially large and not especially picturesque. The reeds around it are overgrown and spread into the waters, rising up out of the scummy marsh like long dead fingers attempting to escape a foregone fate. And though this lake is probably a haven for all manner of pond life, large and small, there was nothing in particular in appearance that would encourage any person to visit. But as always, things are not what they seem, and this lake, known as Loch Lee, was one of the most important and powerful waters on the island. It was known as the Lake of Healing. Plenty came from all around the world and bathed in its cold and murky waters. But it was not enough to merely submerge yourself in the Lake of Healing. You had to take a staff or stick as long as you could find and shove it down as deep as you could reach, for only by scraping the bottom of Loch Lee and scooping up some of the damp black plaster from its lake bed could the enchantment be found. It was this black plaster that could cure any ailment or disease, and the reason for this was it was rumoured that there was a castle at the bottom of Loch Lee. A castle for, and only accessible to, the she, the other folk, the fairies. Seamus Asnee was a poor young boy who lived not far from this lake. But Seamus was not the educated or interested sort, and so took no heed of lake superstitions. Seamus's father had recently died, and no lake water had saved him so it was up to the poor young boy to look after his widowed old mother. They didn't have much in this world, but they had a small fertile plot of land where they grew crops, and one small dun cow, who gave them a drop of milk. Seamus was also a savvy young fella, and would roam the hills and valleys collecting heath to make brooms out of, which his mother took into town to sell at the market. With this broom money, the widow brought home tobacco, salt, and a few other small pleasures that give an extra joy to life. And all things considered, they had each other, a roof over their heads, grain in the earth, and a healthy supply of milk, so both Seamus and his mother were quite contented with their lot in life. One rare and fine Irish summer's day, Seamus took his satchel and went out collecting heath. On this day, he had to go much further from home because the townspeople don't like to stoop when they sweep, so Seamus had to find the longest heath possible for making brooms out of. His little dun cow was far more lapdog than idle cattle and would follow Seamus with him everywhere he went, and Seamus was always happy with the company. He would look into the vacant, brown, long-lashed eyes of his beloved beast and would put the world to rights. This rare and fine Irish summer's day was especially hot, and Seamus soon found himself in need of a rest. He put down his satchel and lay down on the long pre-harvest toasty grass to sleep. While Seamus snoozed, his dun cow grazed nearby. 
The serenity was soon broken by the arrival of a band of Gan Canuck, fairies known as love talkers for their handsome looks and bewitching charms. Many a mortal lady has fallen under the spell of a Gan Canna. These fairy rogues and rovers were all at play. Some were dancing, others kicked a ball, and others still wielded the ashen sticks of the ancient Irish sport of hurling. Seamus awoke to the sound of Hurley on Slitter and watched in awe at the supernatural skill of the Gancana. Seamus's eyes were drawn in particular to the captain of the team, who looked to be the leader of the entire troop, who struck the ball so high it hung in the sky like the moon in orbit before landing safely back on the hurl. Bravo, my fine hurler, Seamus unwittingly shouted. He couldn't help himself. Seamus didn't remember anything else, for the fairy hurler then took the slither and smashed it against poor Seamus's face. It struck him right between the eyes. When he regained consciousness, Seamus could taste the blood and throb of his broken nose. I'm blind, he cried as he attempted to regain his equilibrium. Slowly, the blurred and blackened vision of Seamus returned. The Gancana had all disappeared, and worse... So had Seamus's dun cow. Seamus returned home to his mother, who was horrified by his appearance. What happened you? she asked. I got a slither in the face off a gancana. A what? One of those other folk boys that runs off with young ones. But never mind that. The cow wandered off while I was out cold. This worried Seamus's mother even more than his cuts and bruises. What will we do? Don't you worry, Mammy. I'll clean up me face and then go out and find that wandering rascal. Seamus went out in search of his beloved pet, and after searching fields and glens and valleys, he finally came across a bog with two horns sticking out of the dark oblivion. It took Seamus and four others to hoist the cow from the bog, at which point, of course, the poor creature was long dead. Seamus took the beast home, where it was skinned and sliced up, and though they would now have hide to sell to the market for leather and a plentiful supply of meat, the meat would not last long, and now they would have no source of milk. Plus, when the neighbours heard that Seamus and his mother had beef, a whole manner of vultures showed up at their door to enjoy the bounty of the feast. But when the guests bit into the sliced remains of the dun cow, they found the meat tougher than jerky, tougher than leather, tough even as oak. It was like biting into the oldest tree in Ireland. There was no chew, no flavour, no sustenance. Eventually they had to throw the meat out for the dogs, but the dogs would not even sniff it. And so the mortal remains of the dun cow rotted in the ditch. Without a cow and no milk, Seamus and his mother had to work twice as hard to survive. Now any money they earned from Broomheath went towards milk, and there was no money for the joys of tobacco or salt or anything else. Times were hard, and Seamus had to go out every morning and evening looking for any last twigs he could. One evening, Seamus happened upon two Gancana again, and what were they with? Only a little dun cow. That's my mother's cow, cried Seamus. No, it isn't, said one of the fairies. 
but Seamus had already leaped onto its back, and when the fairies attempted to spirit away, Seamus was already gripping onto the cow's horns for dear life. The cow bucked and jumped from the earth and into the waters of Loch Lee. They sank deeper and deeper into the lake. Seamus thought his hour had come, but still he would not let go of the horns. He would not lose his cow again. But just before he ran out of breath, Seamus found himself full of life once more as he stood before an enormous glittering castle, shining with jewels that wobbled in the water. One hundred figures then emerged from the castle gates and surrounded Seamus and the cow. "'What are you doing down here, mortal?' asked one gentleman. "'This is my mother's cow,' defended Seamus. "'How do you know that?' "'Because a group of Gancana stole her from me after I saw them playing hurling. "'I've spent most of my life with this cow, "'and I know her better than the heath scars on my right hand.' "'Very well,' said the she. "'We offer you gold to the price of twenty cows.' "'The cow is worth more to me than a hundred. "'I'd rather have her alone.' "'You are not like most mortals, Seamus.' You should come and live with us in the castle beneath Loch Lee. I'd rather live in my own mother's cabin. You cannot mean that. Here you could walk amongst our flowers and fruits. I'd rather cut heath on the mountain. You fool! Here you can eat and drink better than you've ever known. I'd rather drink the milk of my own cow. The other folk pleaded with Seamus that they needed the milk of his cow. But Seamus said that his own mother needed milk more than any of them. When the fairies realized that Seamus was too stubborn to be reasoned with, they all began to beat the poor young lad into submission. But still, Seamus would not let go of the horns of his dun cow. Soon a great current carried Seamus from the lake floor and launched him from Loch Lee. The lad landed safely at the shore, with his beloved cow in tow. Seamus finally returned home, and his mother was overjoyed to see both him and the dun cow. She placed both hands on either side of the cow's face and said, May God bless this cow. At the very mention of the Christian deity, the dun cow evaporated through the floorboards of the cabin, as if she had merely been a cow-shaped receptacle for the lake she had emerged from. The dun cow was never seen or heard from again, yet again proving that paganism and Christianity are a dangerous mix. So go home now, and look after your own dun cow, and hope that she hasn't been spirited away by the Gancana to the depths of Loch Lee and the castle of the Lake of Healing. The End As the year comes to a close, we just wanted to thank all our listeners for tuning in to shows on the Headstuff Podcast Network throughout 2022. We'd especially like to thank all the fantastic Headstuff Plus members who have supported their favourite podcasters to keep doing what they love to do. You can join hundreds of fellow supporters on headstuffpodcasts.com and get access to loads of bonus content. From all of us here at Headstuff, 
We wish you a very Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. And there we have the tale of the Lake of Healing on Fireside, and I hope you all enjoyed it. Yeah, very tight, brisk, swift tale there, especially compared to the last few episodes we've done. We've had quite a few long episodes the last three, really. Certainly the last two have nearly been an hour long, uh, which has been great. You know, I love stretching the form and like the advantages of when you have a longer tale and you can really sink your teeth into it, both writing it and listening to it. But still, there's something so wonderful about the the rave scala, that the folk tales that are just... They're like little pockets, little nuggets that manage to fit so much. And because they have this short, swift nature, there is no time for a huge amount of detail. It's just about like the the events and the narrative, which has a cleanliness to it and always brings me back to the, the Philip Pullman as, as clean as water thought. Um, so here we have almost two seemingly separate aspects we're introduced to the lake of healing so in the version in the fairy and folktales of ireland wb8's version or the version that appeared in the london and dublin magazine in 1825 this is one of those tales that is um has a a sort of framing story beg your pardon in that it is a tale being told to the storyteller by someone else so it's about a storyteller meeting someone and the storyteller and the person pointing out to the storyteller this lake and then recounting this tale of the superstition surrounding this lake and ultimately the story of Seamus Asnee. And it ends with the own person who had told this story saying that they were going home to look after their dun cow and in the hope that the Gancana had not run off with her. It's nice to get another name uh, for another fairy here as well that we haven't encountered thus far on this podcast because these trooping fairies particularly, they can all be quite homogenous. You know, we had like like the differences between the Clorachan and the Leprechaun and the Clorachan essentially being a lazy Leprechaun or a Leprechaun being a Clorachan put to work. But here we have these Gancana who are described unusually as being quite handsome and charming and full of life and joy. And you'd see that with them dancing and them playing hurling and playing football and that they are these love talkers and that they are known to charm and bewitch people. These are a species of, of fairy that are specifically male as well. It seems from any of the research, it seems that Gankana is very specifically a male fairy. So it is um, then these that we meet and Seamus coming running afoul of them and of course as quickly happens like the fairies are perfectly contented themselves but once there is mortal involvement once they are spotted or interfered with by a mortal that is when things take a very dark turn for the mortal being and so Seamus is beaten with this slither with this hurly ball right into the face and his dun cow is stolen and we get this almost this quite dark but like almost changeling like a plot point where the cow disappears and Seamus goes out in search of it and he comes across the cow in a bog which is the image of the horn sticking out of the the bog hole and they take him home and they or take her home and skin the cow and cut her for meat uh, waste not want not as they say but as they bite into it it's it's inedible it's it's uh it's tough it's it's not even tough just for like poorly cooked meat it is it tastes like oak 
And those remember from Changeling Tales, one of the common things that the fairies replace a mortal infant with as a changeling is an oak stump, is a log. And so it seems that the fairies have done this. They have essentially performed a changeling on a cow. And so that it actually was just this cow-shaped oaken tree stump that they then bite into and throw out and the dogs won't sniff it and it is left to just decay or rot in the ditch as the wooden shape that it is. And so Seamus then has to work twice as hard. We have a... Because we have ultimately a tale of, of contentment here. We have this boy and his mother who have very, very little, but they have enough and they uh, are happy. And so, of course, when that is disrupted, then they realize the true depths of poverty that they were so close to. All they had more was milk. And so once the milk is taken from them, then everything has to go into providing any level of milk, which robs them of any even simple pleasures like salt or like tobacco that they had. And so then, of course, Seamus comes across the Gankana again, carrying his cow. He recognizes the cow instantly, grabs onto the cow and goes down back into the lake. And then we return to the Lake of Healing, which was introduced to us through its healing powers, and this black plaster that's at the bottom of the lake that can cure any ailment. But that's not the function that the Lake of Healing plays in this particular tale, because we learn that the it is healing because of this castle, because of this f- castle of the other folk that lies at the bottom of, of the lake floor. And Seamus goes down there, and he is interrogated by these hundred members of the Shi that co- emerge from this castle, And they offer him everything. They offer him gold. They offer to live there, essentially offering immortality. But Seamus is so stubborn. And again, to get back to this point of contentment, he knew a sense of happiness and without with having very little. And so he has lost this sense of happiness, but knows that all he needs to get back to that level of contentment is to have this cow. And so there's a nobility in how he doesn't, he refuses absolutely everything. Even when the fairies reduced to beating the living shite out of him, Seamus still holds on to the horns of the cow before being swept up out of the lake and landing back and going home. And then unfortunately, the tale has quite a tragic end, which is, of course, that the mother blesses the cow and brings God into the question, which the fairies never like. There is this constant war that is one of the most uniquely, I find, interesting aspects of Irish folklore, is this constant battle and this occupying, these two things occupying the same world, totally at odds with each other, uh, but still dwelling together, which is the Christianity and the the paganism. And so we have these immortal supernatural beings that are said to have no souls and they cannot uh, achieve immortality in a Christian sense and that they are kind of at war with the with priests and with the Christian God. And that was most wonderfully, I think, illustrated in um, J.M. Singh's book on the Aran Islands, where there was this Christian belief that all fairies are, are fallen angels, that after the war for heaven between Lucifer and God, that the angels that sided with Lucifer that fell and were cast out of heaven, that some of them were spared and allowed to wander the earth 
as fairies and that those that is one christian belief for why they could accept that fairies existed in ireland and so here we see the other side of that where once god once someone it's a mortal uses god to bless a cow that has spent so much time and was dearly beloved by this group of fairies that that is the end of the cow that the cow just disintegrates it evaporates and it is unknown whether the cow returned then to Loch Lee forever or if that was just the death of the cow forever but it is it gives a very potent and tragic end to quite a simple tale of what happens and the constant the constant tenterhooks that you always have to be on once you as a mortal encounter any aspect of the supernatural or any aspect of the other folk particularly in Ireland and particularly with these types of trooping fairies so yeah a huge amount there in such a brisk swift tale and one I very very much liked and hope you all enjoyed as well I will wrap things up now, um, but I really hope you enjoyed this episode. It's been lovely recording back from home. Lovely to feel energized, feel vocally stronger, feel a more relaxed atmosphere. As I always say, I love being able to take the podcast on the road, that I can go anywhere in the world and still be here every week and still be with you all every week. And there are benefits to recording abroad and there are benefits to recording from home. And so it's really nice to feel the benefit of recording home from then before I head off again, because I'll be back on the road in a few weeks now going to America uh, with World of Musicals again for about a month, forming shows in about 10 states, just a little one month tour. But I can't wait to go back. It's still always uh, it's probably my favorite place to work um, and it's my favorite place to travel around because you go around America and it's like going to a different country every time you cross the state border. And so you get to see the various different sides of such an immense and massive country. And I'm very, very much looking forward to going back and seeing some of the parts of it I haven't seen before and seeing some of the parts of it I have and seeing again. So yeah, if any American listeners are around, um, I can put the link to the website in. Um, I'll have more details of where our shows are, if anyone would like to come along. Um, if it, if musical theatre is your type of thing, but would like to come along and say hello, please do. Um, but other than that, if you have not done so already, follow me over on Instagram at firesidebard. Email me at thefiresidebard at gmail.com. Buy Garden Sea in paperback uh, or in Kindle version. All the links are in the description below. We can ship the book anywhere around the world. Uh, look forward to sending off more copies. Uh, you can support the podcast directly on headstuff.org um, or at headstuffpodcast.com, rather. Links are in the description below again. Uh, next week, we will have a bit of a different tale. So, as I said, the new format that we're going to try with the podcast is to alternate between an Irish myth, an Irish folk tale, and then a world tale from either world folklore or mythology, just to get a real span and a breath and keep it alive and constantly have them to compare back to so that we always remain rooted in the Irish and Celtic mythology, but can constantly have a finger and in other in the other pies of uh, of world mythology and so we're going to start with a bang with that with a, one of my favorite tales my whole life and one i'm looking forward to doing an adaptation of so next week we're going to have the tale of rumpelstiltskin from the grim folklore um, i'll see you all you'll hear me all next time and remember wherever you are and wherever you go you can always join me by the fireside 
This show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network, a hub for the creative and the curious. Shows are produced in association with Headstuff and the Podcast Studios Dublin. Find out more or become a member at headstuffpodcasts.com. Thank <laughs> you.